Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode. I thought it'd be interesting to chat about financial literacy and how that relates to financial planning. I remember my good friend Dick Wagner, who has uh, unfortunately passed quite a while ago, in 2017 now. He was quite an amazing, uh, I would call him a financial philosopher. He was a CFP financial planner, but he flew at 80,000 feet. And he had 35, I call them truisms, that he had. And one of them was that financial skills are 19th century survival skills. And I think that that is so true. If you think about it, our ancestors, and this is certainly true in the area of the country that I live in, in in South Dakota, to survive, you had to have a bunch of survival skills, hands-on skills. What were survival skills back then? Well, you needed to know how to build a house. You needed to know how to farm or to ranch to hunt, to butcher animals, to sew, to cook. If you didn't know how to do these, uh, you probably were not going to survive. And that is especially true for the pioneers and settlers in our area. And back then, money skills were largely pretty worthless. I mean, they may have served you well in Boston, but they certainly didn't serve you well uh, settling land in South Dakota. Money Money was not going, you couldn't eat it. You couldn't wear it. It it was a far different situation. So today, it's just about a flip side. You can know how to do those skills. You can know how to sew and cook and hunt and build houses and things. But it's not necessary that you need them for survival. I am a case in point. I remember once I showed up at a church building project and they said, come here. They took me downstairs in the house they were remodeling or building and gave me a hammer and they took me to a corner and they had me raise the hammer kind of a little over my head and they all left. So I'm sitting here staring at this corner of the basement, hammer raised over my head and I'm looking around like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And pretty soon I dropped the hammer. I went back upstairs. And I said, what am I supposed to do? Just stand down there with the hammer over your head. And that way you're not going to cause us any grief. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it wasn't too many weeks ago that I showed up. And I could I couldn't drive a nail straight to save my soul. <laughs> I made a mess of that two by four. So anyway, those type of survival skills 
I don't have. But today, providing for yourself, providing for your family, requires knowing how to earn money and how to spend it wisely, how to save and anticipate future needs, how to protect assets from all sorts of potential calamities that can ha happen, necessities of maintaining good credit, the importance of, of building an emergency fund. This is far, far different from hunting and butchering and ranching and building houses and those types of skills. Uh, these are pretty critical in today's society. And you also need to know how to apply these skills to your life. So, yeah, I mean, money touches everything we do, right? Just try and think of something that money doesn't touch. And I haven't come up with anything, uh, whether it's uh, spiritual values, relationships, money is needed to go to a spiritual retreat, money is needed to buy books that maybe guide you on spiritual paths, money is needed to pay for or support spiritual leaders, uh, money is needed, of course, in relationships to get together. I, it just goes on and on. So I think we can make a pretty good case that money skills are critical. However, if actions are more important than words, then it's pretty clear as a society, we don't really value money skills. How can that be? I mean, we talk a lot about money. Money's in the headlines all the time. We have lots of money scripts. But where do you go to learn money skills? I mean, if you think about it, we hear more about sex ed education in schools than we do money skills. The uh, requirements to graduate from high school, uh, I mean, they differ from state to state, but generally speaking, you've got to have a number of very fundamental courses. You, you need to have English course, math, science, social studies. Sometimes the arts are required or a foreign language is necessary. Where is a course in personal finance required to graduate from high school? I can't uh, really think of too many. I, I do not think it is uh, really popular. And how is having some fluency in German, French, or Spanish more important than the money skills we need to actually survive. It's a little bit bizarre. I do have to give my state of South Dakota a little credit. Uh, here, they do require a half-year course in either personal finance or economics to graduate from high school. Uh, and I remember I learned more in my high school economics course than I did in my first quarter in business school. It was phenomenal. However, there's no requirement that you choose personal finance. You can choose economics. Well, isn't it the same? No. <laughs> uh, no, the difference is rather laughable. 
between personal finance and economics. Economics isn't going to teach a person anything that's useful. And I now understand if you're an economist that that was a very nice thing for me to say. But I want to say that economics isn't something that's even understood by economists. (laughs) Economics is not going to teach you how to make good money decisions whatsoever. It might be good for late night discussions with your friend group or people at your favorite pub, but it's not going to come close to equipping you with essential financial life skills. So even the fact that we have in South Dakota this requirement that you can choose one or the other kind of underscores the fact that our educators still don't understand the importance of personal finance and that it's not the same as economics. So I did find one case where a course on personal finance is required. And this is after a person files for bankruptcy and before it's discharged. So if you file for bankruptcy before the judge is going to let you discharge those debts, you need to learn how money works. Well, I mean, that's that's good intentions. Let's educate these folks so maybe it doesn't happen again. But the education is way too late, way too late to wait till the toothpaste is out of the tube to try and put it back in. So money skills are so important. And yet, as a society, we are just so unwilling to admit that. And in a way, I think everybody, I think, admits it or gives it lip service to, and everybody is probably incorrect. There's certainly some people that don't, but you're not born with money skills. It's just not innate. It's not natural. Money skills are not natural. They've got to be learned. And right now, the only place to really, really learn them is from your parents. And we know how that's working, right? Because most parents didn't learn money skills. And and in fact, 70% of the United States lives hand to mouth, month to month. So parents are typically not a good place to learn money skills. So it's not a very bright picture. The, the one thing or one program I know is junior achievement that is taught in a lot of schools. I used to be an instructor in it. But it's only, I don't know, we spend an hour or two once a week for maybe, I don't know, six weeks, 12 weeks. Uh, it goes K through 12. Not enough. Just absolutely not enough to make a huge difference in somebody's life. Okay, so that said, having money skills, teaching financial literacy is only half the equation. As important as financial literacy is, teaching financial literacy often does not translate into application. Knowing what to do is not the same as doing it. Uh, There's a, a scripture that I think is so true. 
it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, thereby deceiving yourself. That little scripture has a ton into it. It's saying just, we have this amazing ability when we hear something, when we learn something, to think we do it. I know it, therefore I do it. And that says knowing it is pretty deceptive because uh, maybe we know good communication skills. Maybe we've learned of good financial skills or the dynamics of a budget or saving or you just name it. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we're doing it. It's the same thing I think I've talked on a previous podcast about the difference between talking about a feeling and feeling the feeling. Two totally different experiences. So just because we know it, just because we have financial literacy doesn't mean it's going to be applied. You might be thinking, oh, Rick, man, uh, you are not full of happy talk today. You've just told us how important financial literacy are, is. We don't value it. And then uh, if we do value it and teach it, teach it, it may not make any difference. And that's exactly right. But it's a start, right? It's a start. But just like financial therapy, there are two components to financial therapy. One is financial. One's knowing the stuff. The other part is the therapy, the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, and beliefs. So it's really important we put the two together. And if we have financial literacy, if we learn stuff, you also know through the podcast that about 20% of the people, that's all they need. Just teach me. Give me the knowledge. I didn't have that. Boom, they're off. They're applying it. 80% of us, and I don't have research behind that. That's that's just my hearsay uh, evidence. 80% of us don't go into action. Why? Because of emotional obstacles. And these can include a ton of things. They usually originate from our childhood. Uh, we have found that most kids have pretty good set of money scripts by age 10. And they can come from um, both generational uh, beliefs around money and uh, cultural or societal beliefs around money. And these beliefs can actually thwart and negate a person's ability to pl apply even the best training in money skills. Now, let me give you a case in point on this. There is uh, one of my peers, Louis Barajas. He's a CFP. Uh, he's uh, from California. And he once gave a talk at the Financial Planning Association that has stayed with me <laughs> for years. It's, it was probably 10 years ago that I heard him uh, talk about this. And he's a financial planner and an author who's really passionate about helping people get out of poverty. And he once said something that has so stuck with me. He said that all the financial literacy in the world is not going to help the poor. Wow. Let me repeat that because it's big. All the financial literacy in the world is not going to help 
the poor. Now, that, that's kind of a, in a way, it feels like a hopeless statement, but it has been so, so true. We have, as a society, so much focused on financial literacy programs to the un underprivileged, to the working poor, helping to get them the knowledge to help them pull themselves out of poverty. And it's no secret that by and large, those programs have not worked. Lewis is very um, qualified to speak to this. He was born into a poor family in East Los Angeles. He managed to become the first Hispanic CFP in the U.S. and pull himself out of poverty. And after having a pretty successful career as a CFP, his passion returned him to the barrio to live out that passion of helping his community transcend poverty. And he says it turned out to be far more challenging than he ever dreamed. And in the talk that he gave, he said that most people in poverty are unaware their cultural beliefs hold them back. Their cultural beliefs hold them back. And, and these beliefs uh, typically are unconscious. They are absolutely money scripts, which we've talked a lot about. Money scripts are unconscious beliefs we have about money that operate 24-7. And they can keep people stuck in poverty and from breaking out of poverty. And the few of the examples that he gave was uh, money scripts that have a sense of fatalism. This is just how things will be. Uh, it will never be different. This is how I am. This is how my community is. This is the life that I've been born into. This is the way it has to be. For all of these reasons, I can't change. I can't get out of it. There, I'm trapped. There's no place to go. Another set of money scripts is that an assumption that working for someone else is the only option. Now, I mean, that's interesting to me because I wasn't born in poverty. I was born into privilege and I had the privilege of being born into a family that had businessmen. They had a kind of an equal number of each, but my father himself was uh, an employee who decided to go into business for himself. So being in business was an option. Not being in business was an option. But for people in these communities, there's an assumption that the only thing I'm ever going to be able to do is work for someone else. There is no option. There is no way that I would ever be an owner. There's another one, a group dynamic where Anyone who reaches for too much success is pulled back down into the community's financial comfort zone. And we've talked about in past podcasts about the, the financial comfort zone is where I operate comfortably with my peers. It's what's familiar. And when someone attempts to break out of that financial comfort zone, first of all, breaking out is uncomfortable in itself. And it's intensified because of the um, uh, dynamic uh, Ted Kahn's called, called it WWPT, 
what will people think? And the people that remain in that comfort zone typically try to pull the person that's breaking out back into that familiarity. So this, this is, this is true. It, it, I think it's in a way true of almost all socioeconomic classes, except of course for the very top, but even they have a way of <laughs> going after each other. But you just can't, you can't have too much success because why? You're going to lose your tribe. You're going to lose the people that are important to you. There's also a victim mentality of blaming and feeling powerless to change, uh, a lot of victimization. And uh, another group of money scripts that, that say you rely on financial advice on the wealthiest or most successful person in the neighborhood, right? Just because, you know, relatively speaking, they're the wealthiest, they're the most successful in the tribe. But you don't have the knowledge to evaluate the validity of that advice. Now, we, we see that in middle America, even with affluent people. We know that the number one place that people get advice on their 401k investments is financial advisor? No. Employer? No. You got it. It's another employee. It's the employee who's perceived to be the smartest with their money. So those are some of the things that, that um, people under, under privilege are up against in financial literacy, but they don't just uh, only apply to that spectrum. And, and as Lewis said in his talk, he found that telling somebody about a better way just doesn't work. He had to find a way to experientially expose them to a better way because I remember him saying that if you don't see a brighter future, you're not going to plan. So, and the key there is experiential, all right? The, the way to get out of all that is to take a look at where did all those beliefs come from? Where did all those beliefs originate from? and help people examine those beliefs and those emotions about money. And that's not going to be done in a class. It certainly could be done in a group, like with the dynamics of group therapy. But knowing that we've got to take a look at the emotional component of money and the financial trauma, if you will, was created or happened in that person's life is part and parcel of energizing any type of financial literacy. A person can't take action until they have dealt with that past. Just like Ebenezer Scrooge, he had to visit his past before he could come into the present and see the possibility, see how he was showing up and, and be able to, to hear what was going on around him. So this is really essential knowledge for any financial advisor, debt counselor, social worker, volunteers, anybody that wants to help people get out of poverty. Uh, my good friend in um, India, Partha uh, Iyengar is a CFP, and he has been working with helping women uh, become empowered around money in their culture and to dig out of their poverty. And 
he's a pioneer in India because he has the good knowledge to know he's got to put together the financial literacy with the emotional literacy for this to work. So more money or more knowledge about money isn't going to help until we can help people get unstuck from their cycles and from their routines and patterns of emotional financial wounding. So that's kind of what I wanted to say today. And that's why this podcast exists, is helping us to to combine, to unite the nuts and bolts of financial planning and financial knowledge with the emotional aspect of that. And when we do that, people start making better money decisions. I've seen it happen within a week or two weeks of somebody discovering the core root of why they act, why they behave around money in a certain way and be able to to reverse those patterns. So thank you for joining me once again and I look forward to next week. So take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.